think something new under the sun. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Imprint Companion, a physical media podcast brought to you and embracing Australia's latest <laughs> boutique Blu-ray label, Imprint Films. I am one half of the team of the physically obsessed hoarders of many a Blu-ray, Blake Howard. With me, as always, is the world's most beautiful, most Australian ethnic Greek film critic that has ever lived. His chest <laughs> hair is so formidable, it is almost a special feature on his very body, wow. Alexi Toliopoulos. It is so wonderful to see you on another Imprint Companion, my friend. Blake, I am overwhelmed and overjoyed, but mostly I'd say over-encumbered with <laughs> special features and Blu-rays and discs uh, from this giant batch that we've got from Imprint. I feel like we've been snowed under over the last couple of months on this show. I Look, there's a moment in one of the films that we're deep diving on in this episode, uh, the Harry Palmer film, The Ipcrest File, that features Michael Caine's character locked in this box and he's like, it's like an oral uh, sensory overload mm. experience where he's being bashed basically in Sydney Fury's terrific film. And I genuinely am like, I look at this and I'm like, I just can't, I can't believe how much we've been spoiled across different mm -hmm. countries, across different types of cinema. It's just unbelievable. So I think we should just get out of the way right now. This is a brand new imprint uh, films for what has been floating around because of the Australian pandemic, October, November release batch. Mm -hmm. This is broadly, I guess, a big British batch of films. Yes. That, that features multiple box sets. So you've got things like big screen British comedy that has dad's army, the Steptoe and Sons movies. And are you being served? If you're a classic British comedy fan, you've got the Browning mm -hmm. versions, both versions of the Browning versions, Michael Redgrave, um, uh, Albert Finney. And mm -hmm. then you've also got a couple of other really great ones. You've got like Australian classic Ned Kelly starring Mick Jagger that is in this batch Blake. too. Can I, I mean tell you how excited I was to see <laughs> this pop up as an option to finally have on Blu-ray. I'm a big fan of this kind of Australian movie in that slightly Ozploitation Bush Ranger vibe, like the Australian Westerns. And yes. this one's a bit of an icon because it's got Mick Jagger as like Australia's most prominent folk hero, our kind of version of Robin Hood or something. Um, uh, Robin Hood meets like, you know, the man with no name or something. It's very, it's a very singular being, uh, Ned Kelly. So this is a real cult classic Australian film. And it makes me very excited to see this in here. And there's a couple of other ones. We've got a reflection of fear and assassination bureau. We're overwhelmed with movies this month. So what we thought we would do is pick out one of the big ones, the one that we think is the must-have item in this box, in this batch, rather, that we want to give a shout-out to and kind of just discuss that one at large. Yeah, look, we're talking about a batch of films and talk about a purple patch of movies and a purple patch of the British film industry era and three incredible directors that, like, feature in this, in this great sort of... Uh, I guess antidote or alternative to James Bond mm -hmm. films made in 1965, 66 and 67. We're broadly being able to call this the Harry Palmer collection. Um, this is of course um, based around 
um, the Harry Palmer series that was uh, written uh, by Len Dayton, which is actually now experiencing a bit of a purple patch in British TV. They've taken Len Dayton's novels, the Harry Palmer novels, and they're adapting it for TV at the same time. But this was Harry Saltzman, who is one half of the Saltzman and Broccoli team, who brought us James Bond to the big screen for the first time, came in, were looking for other British spy novels, were essentially looking to corner the market on kind of every British spy novel they could. This was their kind of George uh, Smiley-esque um, version mm. for later people have seen you tinker taylor soldier spies they were looking for an, an equivalency and they found this character who in len dayton's first novel the ipcrest file has actually no name and michael kane mm-hmm. himself and harry saltzman at a lunch um were trying to think of the most boring name and michael kane true to his scallywag credit um shouted out to the old harry saltzman said harry harry's a boring name <laughs> Harry's a boring name. And uh, they're like, Harry Palmer, there you go. And so we have three films in this great Harry Palmer collection as part of this imprint badge. Um, that is Ipcrest File, which is directed by Sidney Fury. You've got Funeral in Berlin, which is directed by Guy Hamilton. And then Billion Dollar Brain, which is directed by Ken Russell. Um, so, yeah. I mean, talk about three British icons um, behind mm-hmm. the lens, in front. Lex, let's dive in to these Three classics, starting with the Ipcress file. film that I was familiar with because my mom is like such an anglophile my mom <laughs> yeah. loves my mom truly loves she doesn't love James Bond she loves this kind of like English yeah. espionage type film and books my mom is a big Lacare fan she loves yeah. the George Smiley films the TV films with uh, Alec Guinness as George Smiley from yeah. back in the day. She loves the mu- the modern one as well, um, Tinker Tail Soldier Spy. But she really loves this kind of like slow burn English espionage where it's just a little bit funny. Like people are quite witty around them. Uh, so she always loved Ipcrest Fall. So I'd seen it a few times growing up. I don't think I'd ever seen either of the sequels. Um, I didn't even really know they existed, to be honest, yeah. until I saw this box set land. And I was like, holy shit, the sequels to the Ipcrest file? And then looking <laughs> up like, oh my God, they're directed by Ken Russell and like one of the best James Bond directors, Guy Hamilton. I'm like, what the <laughs> frick? So I was so excited to like dig into this one. I've had a chance to rewatch the Ipcrest file, beloved film from my days of youth. And I've also checked out Funeral in Berlin, the first sequel directed by Guy Hamilton. I think yeah. that these, like you said, these are such a an antidote to the thrills that Bond gives you. To have like these yes. kind of cold and slow, more films, I would say, that are more spy movies than action movies. Absolutely. These are espionage with a capital E. And for me, I, I feel like Ipcrest File for movie lovers out there is a movie that you've pro- if you haven't seen the whole thing I'm almost certain that you've stumbled on portions of it of clips of mm-hmm. it of certain moments because there are you know certainly iconic 
And just talking about Ipcrest first, 1965, it's directed by Sidney Fury. And if you don't know who Sidney Fury is, he's um, a filmmaker who, like, his resume is kind of wild. Like, it goes all the way up to present day, um, making things like Pride of Lions, Drive Me to Vegas, Finding Hannah, which has just been completed. Yes, like, it goes all the way to contemporary times. But it started out with films like, you know, Ipcrest File, The Naked mm. Runner. Um, later on, he apparently did work on uh, uncredited work on Night of the Juggler and The Jazz Singer, which are both comedies. Wow. Um, so it, and Superman Four: The Quest for Peace, as well as another mm-hmm. random one that he appeared in. But Weird. what I would say, what I would say about Ipcrest File is, it is one of the most formally dynamic and stunningly composed spy movies that I think I've ever seen. Mm. Every single shot in this movie, um, whether you kind of whether you vibe with a slow burn or not, I think what's mm. so valuable about this triptych of these stories is just how wildly different um, and wildly capable all three of these guys are. And so Sid Fury, I mean, this whole movie looks like it's shot from a silent observer. It looks like it's mm. shot from someone hiding in a plant. In looks like someone's hiding in a roof. It looks like someone's hiding in a... Uh, 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 um, some kind of cupboard that's holding like cutlery or, or you know, or, or, a, or, a, or a pantry cupboard. Everything is being shot, looking, peering through things, peering over the shoulders, peering down over things. And it just feels like he took the assignment of how do I make an espionage film truly feel like these, I'm, I'm embodying this omnipresent watching that's happening from these external forces. And he just makes it happen. And so... I think, you know, Ipcrest is probably the most famous because it's the most in- innovative. And when you look at mm. Ipcrest, you can see, like, it feels, I don't know if it felt, well, it felt like you, man, but I, I was just looking at it and I was like, I see John Frankenheimer take some of this stuff later. Yep. I see Steven Spielberg take some of these techniques later. I just mm. feel like any, uh, and even as late as in, we were just talking before um, about the most recent Bond movie, No Time to Die, and even the Mendes Bonds with, like, Skyfall and things like that, compositions people moving into frame you know i I really feel like some of these espionage techniques are still very applicable today and and i i think sid fury for ipcress which i actually think is probably the slowest and maybe um um now that i've seen all three um it's probably like my equal second favorite of the batch but Mm -hmm. man as far as formally it's just out of this world great yeah, and I think the thing that I find really interesting, it is in that counterpoint to Bond because, you know, we already said that it's Saltzman who is one part of the duo of Saltzman and uh, um, Broccoli. Broccoli. But we've also got this fantastic score from John Barry who is yes. one of the great, <laughs> you know, composers of all time, but he really becomes iconic with his score work on those early James Bond films. So they bring him in to do something a bit different. It's got the same production designer of like From Russia With Love and other Bond films, Ken Adam. But to me, the thing that really stands out the most is uh, the editor of this Ipcress file is Peter Hunt, who is one of the most famous editors who made his bones editing those early James Bond films and then eventually doing the second unit, eventually being the director behind On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And I think it's interesting to see how he's 
editing style applies between the two films by like kind of long sustained shots being like what kind of sticks in like the Ipcrest file being like more on that coverage way and then James Bond he's like experiments especially by the time he gets to On Her Majesty's Secret Service and it's all him the way that he experiments like with action and stuff I think is fantastic in that film so seeing it like stuff start to like be different and develop here it makes me see him as a more the i may see like more the holistic experience of the artist there yes and that it's so funny the crossover because as soon as you dive into funeral in berlin which is the sequel to this film you dive into guy hamilton and like i mm-hmm. i mean you don't have to be a film fan to know i don't know a couple of these movies goldfinger maybe the actual template for all bond movies that ever went afterwards man with the golden gun diamonds are forever live and let die like he's got so 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 many things um on his resume that are all bonds but it's his first one is goldfinger in 64 he does funeral in berlin in 66 and then bounces back to bond in 71 with diamonds are forever Mm. And so it is the most conventional looking of the three films. It doesn't um, have that innovation, uh, the, the innovative style, I guess, that both Russell brings to it um, uh, in that he's more vibrant on, which we'll get to in Billion Dollar Brain. But man, Guy Hamilton in this, holy shit. Like it just, it feels like such a contemporary spy thriller, except that you're literally, you know, it's got a lot of, and we said Spielberg before, but like I do not, until I saw Funeral in Berlin, I was like, oh, Spielberg, like, what a great idea for Bridge of Spies. And now that I watch mm-hmm. it, I'm like, oh, Spielberg loves Guy Hamilton. He's clearly seen yeah. Funeral in Berlin like 25 Absolutely. times before he did that. And I just, that whole relationships and these, like, especially in um, Funeral in Berlin, there's a character that is, <laughs> there's a character that's introduced um, who, uh, Oscar Homolka is his name. He plays Colonel Stock, who's the, um, a Russian person that a Russian spy is potentially going to uh, come over uh, a USSR agent. And man, that witticism of these people on both sides and just happily and gleefully, like the banter that happens on both sides of the, uh, this sort of cold war um, uh, fight. It's just mm. sublime. Like they're just, it's just terrific. The whole thing completely rules. Yeah. I, I really, really enjoyed this. Like this is, kind of like i i was i can't believe i didn't know that there were sequels to the ipcrest file and i think that like right away i was so interested in what was going on in this film where we've got like you know obviously the two the two sides of like the berlin wall and then we've i love that opening sequence where like just a crane brings something over brings like this big iron bucket that just a worker from the from one side jumps in and is taken over to the other side was just like that was such a cool opening that just sets the scene for everything that this film is playing with yeah it's it's so you know if you've crest file is the more um psychological and starts to sort of on like the technological and has all of those fears that you associate with like you know sleeper agents and those sorts of things and and plays around with the technology bit funeral of berlin is just like it's way more like surface level it's like we're gonna get double crossed mm. we're gonna get backstabbed we're gonna save people and it, c- it becomes a little bit more conventional but it doesn't take away any of the nuance it, like there's still like good moves and good moments and nice twists and turns that are really fun 
But I know you haven't seen this one, Lex, and I'm just dying to talk to you about it because I think Please. I'm, if I'm most certainly going to convince anyone. So the one with probably the strangest and weakest title of the three um, is I don't know if you can call this the weakest title. It's Billion I, uh, Dollar Brain, dude. That's, uh, <laughs> that's like what I, everyone's nickname would dream to be. Fortunes. It makes fortunes. Ours. Billion Dollar Brain. Let's just let's just say this. What has been brought to every one of these films is a unique director. And Billion Dollar Brain is mm. it a it, it it has one challenge in that it's one of the later Len Dayton books which sees Harry Palmer leave the service and he goes into business for himself as a private eye. He stumbles in to a plot, American fundamentalist radicals who try and use a supercomputer to overthrow communism. Well, And so he gets dragged back in, you know, just when he thought he was out, he gets dragged back into these spies. He starts meeting some of these figures from his past. And one of the things I can say is like Ken Russell, Ken Russell, if you don't know that name, the man behind the devils, which is still like yet to have a, a really phenomenal yeah. release. It's still kind of kept under lock and key altered mm -hmm. states. I mean, this is one of the most true. He's a true provocateur. He really is. He's one of the true provocateurs of cinema, truly boundary pushing filmmaker. It's that's what fascinates me about this movie. And why I'm like, I, how, how can he make, how can he have had an entry in this franchise? So he gets Harry Palmer. He, t he finds out that there's these sleeper agent operations that are happening in the Soviet Union and in Eastern Europe in the middle of the Cold War. They then track these things to this secretive, what looks like this kind of uh, artificial proto-artificial intelligence. But what we find out is that this proto-artificial intelligence is just, in fact, it's a huge supercomputer that's got a whole bunch of agents. It's almost very Spectre style from the last James Bond wow. film, like proto-Spectre, where they're feeding this thing information and telling people who to kill and whatever. And rather than Blofeld at the end, it ends up being Ed Begley, who plays like this crazy, like psychotic um, Christian, like fundamentalist and family lover in Texas. Yeah, this these bunch of Texan Christian fundamentalists who uh, garb themselves in like what looks like SS uniforms go over and try and take out the communists. And I understand why this movie is the less known of all of them because mm. it is so rabidly anti-American colonialism that I don't wow. know if any American theater would ever want to show it because it is so like in the same way that Paul Verhoeven, you know, we've talked about on this show before how he is like mm -hmm. the most he has the most naked and unflattering view of what America is and something like showgirls, which is why it continues to resonate. I feel like watching this is like, you're just basically seeing crazy Texas fundamentalist capitalists want to destroy anything that is in their path. And they're willing to be as crazy and suicidal in their way of doing it. And so this movie feels like this wild bunch of these huge, like crazy and people that are outlandish and Harry is just navigating to stay alive and I was just like, the whole time you're watching it, I'm like, man, Ken Russell, they thought they were just getting like another one of these guys who was going out mm. there to be innovative. And Ken Russell's out there like pushing buttons, 
having these American fundamentalists dressed in like Nazi gear, Nazi paraphernalia, like making them in one minute dress like Nazis and like go on suicide missions and then the other minute like talking about family and like quotes, quoting from the Bible. It's just amazing. So wow. Billion Dollar Brain knocked my socks off because I'm like, this is a Ken Russell joint, okay? If you are a completist, you need to have this in your collection because it's a Ken Russell joint and he's doing from the confines of this espionage movie, the baddiest one of this entire series, mm. he's really pushing buttons. And Holy man, it, it like it, it it's like a sliding doors moment of like, if there was another funeral in Berlin, maybe we would have had all the Harry Palmer novels as films. Mm. But I feel like Ken Russell shut the door, but it's like, man, he didn't just shut it. He slammed it. And I was like, oh, yeah, Ken, you killed it. It's so good. That's and like, so exciting. Yeah, I have to. I think is like one thing that really surprised me of this box set is I I had a feeling that this would be like a bit of a bare bones one because, you know, it's three movies. I didn't know how much there would be in there. The content is stacked on each of these discs. Like each has enough supplemental features that also don't seem too on the nose. Like there's some that are just like (laughs) old archival documentaries about Michael Caine. Like who is Michael Caine and stuff from that era, which just sounds so cool because, you know... Michael Caine has roles that I would say are more iconic to building the persona of Michael Caine's character on film. Like Alfie that we've covered before from Imprint. um, And then, you know, some of the gangster movies like Get Carter and stuff. But as far as defining what we think Michael Caine looks like, I think Harry Palmer is the character that we associate with what Michael Caine looks like. He's got he's got those glasses, those classic like Michael Caine specs that he would go on to parody, of course, in Austin Powers, <laughs> Gold Member, where he plays Nigel Powers, Austin's dad. Uh, but I think that's what's so key about it. And to have like all of these features, like there's so much in there. There's new stuff, there's old stuff, there's really old archival documentaries on each disc. I like this is a rich box set. Yeah, it's a it's really rich. If there's only one minor criticism, and I we have to be fair and objective mm-hmm. on the we actual outer on the outer box, it doesn't have Harry in the glasses, which is yes. a shame. And you know that what? is the thing. I don't endorse vandalism, but I do have a sharpie. Yes, and I think for the show, Lex, hold on, you're just gonna have to vamp for a minute. But for the show, live on air, I'm gonna draw glasses wow. on the box set. I'm gonna have to do it. Good Lord. He's doing it, guys. This madman is getting the box. He's got a Sharpie in his hand. All right, All right go, he's got it. This is the box set. We're going right to the front. He's, compl- see, he's, he's, he's got a naked face. It has to be fixed. Uh, his only complaint was that he does not have his iconic spectacles on the box set. He's defacing it, but he is, in fact, refacing it. He is making it look like the Michael Caine we know and love from the Harry Palmer. Okay, well, not that accurate, Blake, but um, good job. (laughs) Well, it's not that accurate, but nonetheless, it is a good attempt, and he has now got the specs on. Um, This is the only uh, imprint box set that I've actually defaced, but I was looking at this (laughs) because one of the first great documentaries on the first one, Michael Caine is Harry Palmer, this great interview from 2006, 
Um, and there's a couple of other great interviews on that. Like, you know, there's the, the Kane, uh, Candid Kane and other self-portraits and other things like that. But the first one, he talks about... By the way, one of the best puns I've ever heard. Candid Kane? Candid It's Kane. a pun on Candy Kane. <laughs> and a pun on Candid Camera. Candid Kane. Like, it's this, wow. it's it's double pun. And But I just remember him talking about, because he was mates with Sean Connery, he was like, you know, Sean is James Bond. And any movie that Sean's in, in was was in at this period, he couldn't escape that he was James Bond. Like James Bond looks like Sean mm. Connery. Sean Connery looks like James Bond. It was a really tough thing for him to pivot, you know, prior to Honor Majesties and obviously going through then the the, the rhythm of getting new Bonds on deck. Um, but he was like, I'm lucky because Harry Palmer has such a distinct look. I put the Harry Palmer specs on, I can walk away. Mm -hmm. And so... There we go. The box set, um, unfortunately, has been defaced, but that's where <laughs> we are. Um, we have such an amazing lineup um, that are coming up for us on imprints in the yeah. next month. I mean, well, we'll let's let's uh, before we get to the December, because actually there is a November, technically a November bundle that you're going to hear from us in the next episodes. We've got um, some real, real rippers. You've got let's scare Jessica to death. Um, uh, which is by John D. Hancock. You've got Tam Lin, which is an Ava Gardner movie with Roddy McDowell. Um, you've got Body Parts, um, which is Ed uh, Eric uh, Red's under underrated nineties uh, horror been movie. Dying to watch that. Been dying to watch it. Now this, the next one that's on this list, Lex. I know it's one of it's. I know. I know you've got a fondness for it. It is a Sam Raimi joint. And I didn't even know it until we started researching it for the next episodes. It's written by Billy Bob Thornton. What the hell yeah. is it? The Gift. It is The Gift. Yes, The Gift. That's directed by Sam Raimi, as I said. Kate Blanchett, Katie Holmes, Giovanni Crazy. Greg Kinnear. It is an insane, insane cast. We've also God. got Stir of, Stir of Echoes, which is... Um, uh, a Kevin Bacon flick and uh, and really terrific underrated movie. Just another one of these like great mm. video store movies getting a lot yes. of play. Um, and and then a couple more uh, classics, seventies occults. We've got Medusa Touch and The Possession of Joel Delaney. That is our November batch. And then like the December pack is almost as big. Uh, it's Last Train from Gun Hill, Kitten with a Whip, Lady in a Cage, House of Cards, not the TV show. Um, the Country Girl, <laughs> The Naked Jungle, Outrage, and finally, Parallax View. Mm -hmm, which is one of the greatest special features that I'm looking forward to. <laughs> a commentary by none other than Alan J. Pakula expert, Mr. Blake Howard. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, we've got so much coming to you. We've got mm -hmm. this more, um, you know, horror uh, conversations uh, batch of November that you guys are going to see coming out very soon. We've got the December batch, which just looks like some Stone Cold classics that are being brought um, to imprint. It's just a massive couple of months, so we can't wait to chat to you more. Lex, between now and then, where can people hear your lovely self? I believe right now as they're listening to this, we're rolling into the finale of your mm -hmm. beautiful little triptych on Total <laughs> Reboot, Adam Hart's Drew. Adam and Drew, tell the folks about the current miniseries. It's awesome. It's a dream miniseries we're doing on Total Reboot. We're talking about the three romantic comedies starring the greatest rom-com duo of all time, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. We're talking The Wedding Singer. We're talking about 50 First Dates, one of the movies that makes me cry the most. And <laughs> the yet-to-be-seen-by-either-of-us-blended. We haven't watched it yet. 
We haven't recorded it yet. We don't know what we're going to think about it. But uh, these have been some really fun episodes. We had uh, the guys from The Worst Idea of All Time on the latest episode about 50 First Dates, uh, who we love very much. It was the first time all four of us have ever podcasted together. We've done countless iterations of two or three of us. And it was the first time it was all four of us. It was so much fun. Very, very good. And look, um, I can highly recommend it and, and... I'm just going to throw it out into the universe now. Um, I, if, if it's the last thing I do, I'll be um, pushing for the Alexi Toliopoulos Bright Wall Dark Room Definitive 51st States wow. essay. I'm wow. pushing for it now live on air. I'm putting pressure on the man. Um, so we'll keep, we'll keep that uh, rolling. Um, if any of our friends uh, over at Bright Wall listen to this, please, uh, you know, please mention it in the comments. I, I know that some of you guys listen. Wow. Um, the final run of... Five episodes of Zodiac Chronicle are taking shape. Uh, I have been uh, extremely hard on myself in these last coming episodes to make sure that they are up to snuff. Uh, I'm extremely proud of all the episodes we've put together. We have so much coming forward. But there is something I'm going to surprise Alexi with. Now, Alexi, speaking of great partnerships, the Total Reboot uh, the team duo, the, the Finding Drago dynamic duo, and the obviously the incredible guys from Worst Idea of All Time getting together, I have it on Great Authority, a.k.a. I saw it in an Instagram story, that Cameron James, your dear co-host and partner mm-hmm. on the other side of your potting family, does like to, sw- just likes to sort of swan around the streets of Sydney listening to Jay-Z and Linkin Park's Numb Encore. So I think yeah. now, at the end of this episode, I should say that in the future, there must almost certainly be a Miami Nice Total reboot crossover with Katie Walsh, myself, yourself, and Cameron James talking about Miami Vice. I feel like it's the universe is calling out to us to do it. I spoke to Cam as I said, I feel like this is a subtweet, this uh, story you're listening to Encore and you're not coming on Miami Vice. He said, you know where my people are. You know how to reach me. And so this is me reaching out to you as Cam's people to make this happen. I will accept. I will accept this. It's a finally a great excuse for me to watch Miami Vice. Finally. I recently finally. did borrow it on Blu-ray from a friend, so it is good timing. Very good timing. Guys, thank you so much for listening to Imprint Companion. Um, we love bringing you the show. Um, this batch is absolutely stacked. For Anglophiles out there, you've got so much great stuff to mm-hmm. consume. Um, big triple tick. Um, this is our A++ like essential recommendation in the batch if you can't get the whole thing is the Harry Palmer collection purely if you're like massive director nerds like Lex and I um, you have to get it thank you so much for listening we'll catch you guys on more episodes of Imprint Companion and a serious disagreement soon because physical media stocking stuffers are going to be it this Christmas it's gonna be lit it's gonna be be lit lit Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts.